well, think about it. Food creates us, right? You, you know, all those fruits and veggies you have are now, you know, your teeth or your hair. You know, it's how we recreate life. When you feed somebody, that's a very in, intimate thing. I noticed that with my um, kids to have them in the high chair. I have a picture of Carter. He's got food all over his face and he's just looking so innocent. And, you know, I, I wasn't in the picture, but I was feeding him. There's something very, very intimate about food and how it creates us and what it means to create someone and affirm them through feeding them. The Shepherd and the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com Search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the Shepherd and Pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the Shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or... Mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Marty. How are you? Good, good. I got back from Vegas and I'm very glad I'm not there anymore. <laughs> Nothing against Vegas, but... Did you see any shows? Uh, we didn't go to any shows. We were busy with the wedding. So, but I did get to take my oldest. And so we got to hang out a lot and show him how far you can take debauchery i didn't show me just watched it nice people no really honestly nice people i didn't see anything but people being polite to one another and you know mm-hmm. it was a mixed bag that's cool well welcome back to the yeah. interesting um topic that you selected uh, i'm curious what what kind of led you to this yeah a couple things we talked last week about lecto divina which is um spiritual reading as a discipline, Mm -hmm. as a way of spiritual growth. Um, And I thought it would be fun. I've done it a couple times as a Bible study, just when I've done a solo show and thought it would be really kind of cool to bring out some conversation between us as we look at one of the most famous, well-known passages of the Bible that probably most people have never read. Yeah. But I want to begin with a question for you. And that is this, when someone comes to see you, because they are suffering. As a psychologist, you have made it your life's work to help relieve suffering and to give people tools for growth and for health. My question is, how many people who come to see you are believing a lie? That's a good question. Um, But what we call them is we don't call them lies. We call them cognitive distortions. Um, and that's a little more sympathetic because uh, uh, someone lying it at least implies intent to deceive someone. Most of the lies that the folks I know and have as patients, they're unaware that it's a lie. It's a distortion, right? Uh, but it doesn't come from within them, right? It comes from w- without. Right, and, right. And so, and here's the interesting part. When we see the truth, which means now I'm seeing more clearly, but when we see the truth, what happens to us? What happens to our physiology when you finally get to the truth? Well, there may be a shock, but after the initial shock, there has to be some kind of a sense of relief. It's a sense of relief. It really is. Um, I'm not saying it's always pleasant, but it's usually preferable to the lie or the distortion. There's a resolve. Yeah, 
Yeah. And the truth will set you free. If you understand what that is, you, you get this freedom. At least you know what you're dealing with. The distortion, it's chaotic, mm -hmm. right? And, and look, why does this happen? Because the world is very complicated. That's why we need to live in a story, right? So, and people are living in a story, even if they don't understand what it is. Their story might be, I'm no good. I'm useless. The story might be uh, I, I'm too broken to have a relationship or the story might be, and let's call a story distortions too mm -hmm. in there, right? A distorted story is I'm unlovable. You know, that's an example of one. So by clarifying it, and I have to use the language of if it's truth, it's truth, but we can use different language to describe the territory. So I'm going to say everybody, look, I have distortions. I have to work through them. Usually not alone. I need at least another pair of eyes on it right so the community helps us and when there's a shared story there's harmony right we can get along when the stories are broken right and there's disagreement in there that's where we see a lot of the mess yeah yeah you know i've heard it said one of the things that human beings are bad at is interpretation yes something happens to us or we have a thought about why something's happening to us and we get we come up with our own solution as to why. Yeah. And there's like this lie about the lie, mm -hmm. which is um, you think that you have the truth. And then there's what's called cognitive dissonance. And this is, when someone comes to you with a different story that doesn't fit yours, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance, which means, okay, it's like a dissonant um, chord tone. Just sounds weird. It's not resolved. There's no resolution. You can hear it in the music. And then people start to get annoyed, maybe anxious, maybe angry, right? That's why it's very, very important that we listen to one another and not be arrogant, not be prideful, because the whole truth is too much for us to bear. We can't stare at God. You know, no one's seen God. You can't. That's the whole truth. We got to have a, enough of the truth to help us to navigate and make decisions. Okay. The biblical story, if we get into it, is the pattern of reality. So my question was always this when I found it and read it that way is like, okay, we have probably the most important guidebook on how to get through life mm. and maybe even add value to life and people don't read it. And that's no condemnation. There are good reasons why they're struggling with it. What are those reasons? Because kind of, isn't this what the show is about in a way, you know? Okay. So, so what, what prevents them from that story and, and going to the scriptures? Well, I think again, it's a lie that we've, bought about ourselves. It's a lie that we've bought about God. It's a lie that we've bought about how the world works. But I like the word cognitive dissonance a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But but if we if we truly believe like this thing, you know, mm -hmm. that this book could really help us, why wouldn't we be like running towards it as often as possible? Yeah. Why? I think partly we, because we know what we think it says. I think partly because there's a lot of stuff that's difficult to understand, you know, is written it's 66 ancient documents written in another language that are continually being honed in terms of when new information is available from something from the second century or the sixth century BC, it is taken into account and it adds a depth of meaning to words that may be used in the canon of scripture. They talk about it being a living document and somehow every generation it gets rediscovered and uh, understood anew. I think you're right. And so what I would love to do is maybe to introduce some people to one of the most primal stories, primal explanations 
of scripture. And it is found in Genesis, not the rock band from the 80s. Not Phil Collins? Not Phil Collins' band before he went solo. But the book of Genesis, which literally means in the beginning. The Old Testament books are named for a word that's in the first sentence that's being written. So it's written in ancient Hebrew. And this, to me, is a story of how we begin to believe untruths about ourselves, about the world, about God, about life. And it explains the brokenness that leads all of us to buy into the dissonance, to buy into the lies, to be always longing for something that we can't quite find because it's just out of reach. So what I would love to do is simply go back to Lectio Divina, which is divine reading, where you read just a small portion and then you reflect on it. This won't be exactly that because we're doing it as a conversation. And it's a story that you probably have heard and you think you know, but the nuances in it have opened my eyes to reality, my reality, the world, what we're living through more than any other. And it starts this way. Genesis chapter one is the seven days of creation. Genesis chapter two is God establishing a covenant relationship with Adam and the creation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they are one with God. So they are able to look fully at the truth square in the face. And here's what happens next. Genesis chapter three, starting in verse one. There's animals in the garden and, and it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I'm going to read the whole story and then we'll break it out. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you mustn't eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I command you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It goes on from there, but it opens up this whole new story. And I just want to take a look at what's going on because it's really the first lie. It's the first time we hear words like, I was hiding from you, I was afraid. Those realities did not exist until Adam and Eve broke this covenant that God said, you have your pick of everything in this garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, Already right off the bat, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Already right off the bat, what has the serpent done? It tried to tap into something that he was sure was there, which that he could tempt them with, right? One thing is is, uh, is pride, tempting them with pride and power, that you can make yourself your own God. Is that relevant today? Do you know anyone who, they may not even know it, but they're their own God, right? Th- which I means they don't um, humbly test their knowledge. You know, um, they may be ideologues. It's like, it's pride. I know you don't, or the arguments that you, not often I've seen, but sometimes self-righteous interpretations of the Bible where someone's not asking the question, they're imposing that on someone. And um, but what they don't realize that's usually subconscious is they're elevating themselves to a very high status on the most important thing in the world, which is reality. Right. No, this is my reality. Right. You know, what jumps out at me is the fact that, okay, there's Adam and there's Eve, but what does the serpent do? He gets Eve by herself. Uh-huh. So divide them? Yeah. He said to the woman, not he said to them, he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? So much isolation. It's the first time. And she was, she had not broken away from God. She was fine. And she has the ability to survive craftiness. I mean, God put that in us. But the fact is he plants this question did God really say, as if God would say something else? Yeah, the seed of doubt. Yeah. The seed of doubt. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. Right. And he's showing us that there could be something other than God's goodness for our lives. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Did God really say, you? I want you to starve? You can't eat any of this. It's all here. You know, so the sense that God's holding out on us is mm. already... That thought has been planted in her mind. And distrust God. Yeah. Distrust God. Yeah. Trust in your own wisdom and knowledge on this one. Right. You know, I think we get ourselves in trouble when I reduce my reality to my immediate experience. You know, they talk about people who are in severe pain. Their world gets very small because they're so consumed with managing this pain or this thing 
they reduce reality to their reality that they're going through. And I know that uh, you've shared in the past how this self-inflicted pain and isolation is off the charts in terms of human history. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And we're supposedly more connected than ever before. Yeah. Yeah. But a bad seed bears bad fruit, right? But, but every evil thing has to disguise itself as something good. Otherwise, we'll run from it. Right. So he's called the deceiver. He's called the divider. Those are names for the enemy. And he's demonstrated, it's demonstrated right here. Yeah. He's divided. Genesis. Yeah. But, you know, and who knows how long this conversation took? It could have been a thousand years. Yeah. That's a great point, man. So, so let's do that. Put a, put a pin in, in, in this discussion for a sec. Let's segue now because it's a good time. It's early on. You mentioned Genesis one. Is Genesis one, is that a um, scientific document? It is not, but it parallels a lot of science, ironically well, enough. But no, it is poetry. There'll be overlap. Um, and and um, science is a, like I'm hearing people say, follow the science. But I was trained in science. You don't follow the science because it doesn't lead you anywhere. So, so what it does is it gives you a whole bunch of uh, important information uh, about, you know, processes and patterns, right? Uh, so you can make a decision, but your decisions will always have, uh, will never be value free. We have to make the decision, but science is a method, right? For discovering. Right. What, hypothesis. What I just answer. Hypothesis. Yeah, but, but you never believe it. Not fully. Right. You, because you, you have to be open minded that new, it's very complicated out there and that new information could come in and completely uh, you'll have to change everything. And that happens like there's a book by a uh, Kuhn with a K uh, called The Nature of Scientific Revolutions. There are sometimes revolutions in science, which means the whole worldview, because people don't realize this, but we've not always had a creation story in science. There was the steady state until guess when? Sixty. Yeah, it's in the sixties. Do you know the exact date? No, do you? No, I could look it up fast. It's a, it's late sixties, is what I remember. But it doesn't matter. That's we won't split hairs on that. But now the whole story says, oh, there's a creation story that, in my opinion and others, looks a lot like Genesis. Mm -hmm. Before that, it was steady state Aristotelian, which said, um, no, it was always here. Don't even ask the question about creation. Right. That's how fast these. And this is why we can't be too cocky about what we know. Right. It's, I'm not saying don't believe anything. It's not nihilism. It's just saying provisionally believe that and humble yourself in that you probably don't know everything. So if you're taking Zola Scriptura to say, oh, if I feel like it's true, it's true. And I don't have to listen to my brothers and sisters. And um, apparently there's nobody smarter than me if I'm going to not seek anyone else's wisdom. Then there's a whole bunch of mess. And guess who shows up? The divider, the deceiver. He's right there in the room with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what, you know, the whole Big Bang Theory freaked everything, changed everything. Yeah, and some scientists were concerned. Like, oh, my gosh, here come the Christians. Um, <laughs> they're going to say that that's what this is, and it's not. And, and then the second point I want to make is Christ used symbolism all the time in his speech, metaphors, because it's too big and it needs a container. Symbolism is where you get these facts and then they meet meaning. Mm -hmm. Some of these things are so big that those symbols contain so many associations. There's actually more information than less in symbolism quite often, right? Because mm -hmm. to reduce something down to a process that you just observed and measured, and then that is reality, that can't be. We won't go into the philosophical problems with that, but you know, think about that for a while. 
the, it, and it also takes, I'm sorry, but it, it disenchants the world. Mm -hmm. The type of thinking disenchants the world. When you can understand the symbolism of the Bible, and then you walk outside and you're seeing it, then something kind of, ma I'd say magical almost. Do you know what I mean? In touch with something beyond yourself. Bigger than yourself. Bigger yeah. than your battle self, right? <laughs> and, the, and then the fact that, but you can't stop there. The fact that God loves you in that state anyway is, is, is grace. And that's important too. So we want to walk around feeling like we're dummies. We're not. It's very, very, very complicated, as you can tell with all the problems in the world. It seems obvious to me. I heard uh, writers say a human being is simply a story with skin on. Yeah, that's, that's one way of putting it. Muriel Ruckheiser said uh, the world is not made of atoms. It's made of stories. Science is a story too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've already begun with the serpent. Getting the woman by herself. What does a serpent mean too? Because that, that, everything's in here for a reason. Don't think that, now if you're a materialist, the way that you know, a lot of people are in our culture encourages materialism, then you say, oh, serpents don't talk. Therefore, you know, this is all throw away the whole thing. But no, that was used for a reason. Right, right. It was used for a reason. Um, you know, he says that they're the, he's the craftiest, the most cunning. Mm. Those are kind of natures of snakes. Also, snakes transform, don't they? They shed the skin and turn into something else, right? They appear as one thing and then become something else. And also, serpents can represent time. I don't want to go into that whole thing, but evolution time. So when you said this could have happened a thousand years, maybe that's why they use the serpent, because that is one symbol of time mm -hmm. transformation. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, when there was no death, there was no nothing but completely ordained of God's stuff. And the woman gives this reply. She might have given it to him 10,000 times already. And she said, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. What's interesting is if you look in Genesis 2, God did not tell Adam not to touch it. He said, just don't eat it. Mm. So she's kind of added something there. Oh, wow. This is really good. And, and, and Because look, what does the center represent because that's where it is this tree is in the center don't mm -hmm. go into the center there's all kinds of stuff around there you don't need to do that you, you can go and look at it or whatever but don't don't ingest it well think about it food creates us right you, you know all those fruits and veggies you have are now you know your teeth or your hair you know it's how we recreate life when you feed somebody that's a very in, intimate thing i noticed that with my um kids to have them in the high chair i have a picture of carter he's got food all over his face and he's just looking so innocent and you know i i wasn't in the picture but i was feeding him there's something very very intimate about food and how it creates us and what it means to create someone and affirm them through feeding them that christian hospitality you know yeah it's rich you're not going to be the center is what he's saying right don't eat there you're not going to become the center it can't be done mm-hmm and, and she adds this little part, and you must not touch it, which may have been something Adam and Eve said, well, golly, if we're not supposed to eat it, let's not even touch it. But Eve wasn't there when God gave that covenant, which Interesting. is, you know, already there was a little bit, a little more information than what God initially hmm. said. And sometimes we pile things on ourselves. And then here, the Adam kind of directly opposes what she said, God said, she said, God said, you must not eat from the tree to the fruit of the tree or you will die. And then he said blatantly, you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, 
knowing good and evil. Your eyes will be opened. In other words, you are walking around blind. Mm -hmm. Is kind of what he's implying. And there's nothing worse than feeling like I'm missing out. Yeah, on everything. <laughs> Reality is in this case, right? Oh, right. No, half of us spend half our time trying to go around pretending like we're not idiots and not walking <laughs> around. Blind. Seriously, yeah, it's a full time job. For, for some of us, a little takes extra overtime. Yeah, and then there's this ultimate lie. Do you see the lie in verse five? God's God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The fact is they already were like God. Mm -hmm. They were made in his image. So he's saying, no, that's not enough. Satan hates, the serpent is trying to get us to hate that we're utterly dependent on God. Yes, that's, you know, that's what it is. One of, one of the prayers I say is, God, thank you that you're God and I'm not. Yeah, you know that there's a hierarchy. There's a lot in that. Um, there's a hierarchy, and we can't go above that hierarchy. We can't go above God. God's the ultimate, right? So, in, so people, I used to read this thing as like, well, God's kind of mean, you know, give him, give him that apple or whatever I thought it was. What's wrong with him? Then he's just going to come down and punish them. He was trying to protect them. It's the same reason you keep your kids away from the internet. Yeah, it's wise. Right. You're not ready for that knowledge. You never will be ready for that knowledge. That's terrible knowledge. You'd better your entire life living without it. Yes. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree, this is verse six, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And at that moment, Right. Nobody had to tell her she was in trouble as far as I can read it. She just knew this was bad. That's why they ran. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Correct me if I'm wrong about any of this stuff, but I've worked through this so many times. And every I love, time I psychologically, look at it, I like, I like what you're saying. From yeah. And, and we can feel that feeling, right? What was that feeling? What's the feeling that we have when we go, Oh my gosh, run, mm -hmm. hide. What's that feeling? What's that emotion? It, well, it feels like shame. It's shame, yeah. And shame means to look at yourself in a diminished way, that you're lesser than. They had no idea that they were lesser than anything. They also weren't trying to be God. That, that'll always fall. Um, the chips will always fall that way, right? But they knew it. And then the shame. And also they became self-conscious. And we've talked a lot about the self-conscious emotions, such as shame. You know, anxiety is a self-conscious emotion. Most of the time, what will people, people are looking at me and I feel naked. I can't cover up. I can't hide. I am not going to be okay. Yeah. And people will judge me because there's something inside of me that says, oh, I'm wrong. And so I got to run and hide and I can't show you my whole self. I need something to cover, at least disguise those parts, mm -hmm. the naughty parts, right? Yeah, which God said, there's nothing naughty about. Naughty about you. That's what I'm talking about. Isn't this beautiful? So how is this not relevant today? These are patterns of reality and tells us a lot about our psychology, right? And so beautiful because it starts with, no, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broke, right? right. We were created, originally we were created so good. Yes. The Bible calls the sun good, the moon good, the plants good, but he calls people very good. 
Yes. And if you, and if you try to go to the center and you're comparing yourself against that, then you're going to feel like you're not. Right. But we're not called to compare ourselves to God. That's right. Well, yeah, it's fool's errand. Oh, I'll just, just be grateful and be in unity yes. with God. And worship him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, interesting. If, if some people would say, and some literature would say, oh, eating of the apple was the first sin. But there's something really subtle going on that I, I missed for years in the end of verse six. So Eve, first of all, the serpent gets her looking. She saw the fruit of the tree. She saw it was good for food. She saw it was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. You know, it's just starting to pile on. And if we are too obsessed with something, I think that's, that's a, a recipe for disaster. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I never realized that at least for a portion of the temptation of the serpent with Eve, Adam's just standing there like the ultimate beta male. <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to say, Adam, why didn't you grab a shovel and kill that snake? Yeah. Instead of seeing if your wife would resist or whatever she thought she was doing when the serpent was going after her. Yeah. But she was at risk and she had no one to protect her. Right. To protect one another. Right. Yeah. So depending on the lenses that you look through this stuff, because I don't at all see Adam and Eve as a power struggle at all, because it tells me that it wasn't a power struggle. Mm -hmm. She was a blessing to him and in order to um, unify and so then later on, and then, and then the uh, evidence of that is that they can create life, you know, neither alone could create life. They came together. So it's not, we tend to in the West, because we've been told this so much, uh, start thinking in terms of every relationship is a power relationship, especially when it comes to things like uh, wealth. So I don't know about you, but the wealthiest people, and I know some, some that like they have that big money, right. That's supposed to solve every problem. Their lives. Oh boy. Yeah, and I'm not saying it is the money. It's the patterns that maybe led to the money or something. I don't know. I don't know the inside story, but I do know one thing. If you're looking to that to solve your problems, there's plenty of research. Don't listen to me. Take a look at it and see how much, uh, you know, you sacrifice a lot. You don't get close to a billion dollars worth on accident. There were, there were decisions made. There were values. Some replaced other values. You know, none of that stuff is like that house we used to walk by. You know what I mean? I would always look at that as symbolize something for me to say, that's beautiful. It's big. It's on a river. Mm -hmm. What is his life like? What did he have to do? What did he sacrifice for that? Was it worth it? Maybe it was. I don't know. It's not for me to say, but those are the questions that I have. It's good. What has it done to his relationships? Does he have any friends now? Are they coming to him for a handout? I don't know. I just imagine that because I'm trying because I'm realizing that it's not all good. Some of the happiest people I know are people who, you know, not being broke, being broke will give you a lot that of stress. You have to, right. Right. There's no doubt about that. You do want to get that problem taken care of. But how much do you need past that? There's zero correlation between happiness um, and, and misery when you get past your basic needs, because at that point, your basic needs are met. And now it's on you and your relationships to be happy. Mm -hmm. You can have a tiny house and not a huge savings and be the richest man around. Yeah, I believe that. Because of your relationship, because 
you give yourself the valuable things because you're making a difference in the world because you're enjoying yourself. Yeah, you don't worship mammon. You worship God, right? So, so you praise it. You sacrifice to God instead of mammon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is good. Keep going. Are you doing great? So good. And and look at the emphasis on community. Adam Adam could have stopped this. He could have been like, wait, wait, but he's standing there like a doofus. So that she sees all of this, and the, the serpent, you know, is right there. She took some and ate it, gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then they hear God coming. Hey, can I ask you a question on that? Sorry, I'm interrupted, but I want to know this. Okay, fig leaf. So there was another tree in the garden. There were just two, right? There are other trees. In the middle of the garden, there were two trees. There was the tree of life. And there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but it was filled with yes. lush vegetation. Yeah. So that fig leaf, what, what's the relevance of, uh, of Christ cursing the fig tree so it can't bear fruit? How does that re- relate? Because everything's about Christ. In this. Right, right. Does that mean that no more shame, no more hiding? What, have you read anything on that? Any commentaries? Or? The fig tree was also a symbol of Israel. And so, you know, him cursing this fig tree is a symbol of, of Israel at that time missing the message of God. And they were all into the rituals and they were all into separating themselves from everybody else rather than the message of love and mercy and sacrifice. So, so both of things can be true. That's what's great about this book. Both of these things can be true. Because those things, um, Israel had a lot of the problems that were in the garden, right? We all do. Yeah, cha. Yeah, and so I think it's covering up. We try to come up with a human solution for the fact that we have now separated and running from God or hiding from God. And so we try to cover up ourselves. We try to, you know, have you ever tried to cover up a lie with another lie? Sure, of course. And then you got to lie about the first lie, about the second lie. It kind of goes back to the idea of understanding truth and reality. Though it may be painful, it's not as painful as the layers of lies that we do to get ourselves out of the pain. I agree. I agree with that. The layers of cover-up. Those fig leaves chafe. (laughs) (laughs) Got me a rash now. I have never heard anybody say that. (laughs) But you know, right, right. They go true. from what they were used to. It goes right, but I cover themselves. Just to kind of you know extend that point that you made, but that's why confession feels so good, mm-hmm. right? Because it, let's bring back reality, all right? And let me have a uh, witness, and we bring up reality. And I don't care how bad the thing that you were doing. I think that can, I confess to you, you know. On the B2B, if I did something or if I think I did something wrong, I'll even tell right. you I think I right. did something wrong. And that, Check in. Yeah, but because I want to go back to the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so rich. And this is just nine verses. That's all we're into this. So the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Normally, they'd be with him. Normally it would, it's all good. And, but look at, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. 
the man and the woman heard the lo- the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They used to walk with God. In other words, that was normal. That was the thing. They were fully engulfed and enjoying and in relationship with the reality. Right. Not separate. Right. Or with. Right. Communion. Always. And, and look what happened, though. For the first time, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? That's how much love God has. That's how much respect. That's how much God wants to be in a love relationship, a mutual relationship. That's why God doesn't just dictate to us. Yeah, like a parent. Look, it's just like a parent. That's what I would do. I know my kid's hitting, uh, hiding. Mm-hmm. Georgia. Where are you? And I ask questions too, so they can think, you know? Right, right. And then Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. These words are, they never existed before now. Satan, the serpent opened these words up to the universe. And God said, who told you that you were naked? I want to stop right there. Because when I asked you, are people believing lies? And what are you? What did you call it? A distortion. Distortion. God says to Adam, who told you you were naked? The, who told you? In other words, who are you listening to? Here's the deal. I think there is nothing we know except what we've been told. Yeah, most of what we repeat, for, for sure. I mean, look, we didn't invent English, and I have certainly had no original ideas. I don't think, I don't know that anybody's had any original ideas. You have your own take on something. Where do we get our information? I think about like all the spam and all the stuff that comes mm-hmm. my feed. That's a big statement, Matt, because here's what it suggests. Therefore, be careful where you place your attention, right? Be careful where, because we co-create our own, I won't say our own reality, but our own experience, we co-create that based on what are we looking at, right? Where am I putting my attention internally? What am I thinking about? What am I fantasizing about, dreaming about, or even physically? What, you know, we walk into a room and um, it's a party. You're at a different party than I am in some way. Because, you know, I'm looking at the buffet or something and you're um, looking at someone that you think you know. Those are two different experiences. Why am I saying that? That That's not a bland statement because we're supposed to be placing our eyes. If we want to stop suffering, we're supposed to be looking up, so to speak. And the more we look down, that more clock hours looking down, how many clock hours looking up? It will change everything. Wow. Who have you been listening to? Who told you? You know, when you look at, some of the biggest travesties of the last hundred years, you know, what, 80 years ago, somebody told a group of people something about themselves and about the other and millions of Jews just 40 years ago, 35 years ago, millions of Tutsi Rwandans. Think of the thousands of terrorism victims all killed because someone told them something like this, you're superior and they are a threat. You're superior, they are a threat. You aren't good enough. You must kill them. Who are you listening to? That's, I think, what God's asking us today. 
as you look at your life, as you look at how you want to spend your time, as you look at what you want to invest yourself in, and we come up with our answer, and I guess my question to anybody who comes to see me for pastoral counseling, anybody who comes to a worship service, anybody who comes to see you would be, who are you listening to? Who told you about yourself? Who told you about that other person? Who told you about your situation that you're struggling with? Yeah, a good observation. I have a story I won't go into, but that's so relevant to something that kind of bothered me for a few days. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's what, look, you're showing me that this is alive, right? In the world, these are patterns of reality. Where are you looking? Because you got to look for them. Sometimes you get lucky and you get this amazing experience out of the blue, but I don't think that happens that way, even for the people who think it does. You know, where are you looking for truth? Where are you looking to know who you are? Who's telling you this? Yeah, where are you looking for happiness? And, and look at, you know, the idea behind every action is a belief. And if, if your actions are being led by beliefs in things that are false, things that are going to pull you away from people. Interesting, you know, three chapters from the beginning of the Bible, the serpent appears for the first time. And if you go to the end of Revelation, three chapters from the end of the Bible, the serpent is seen for the last time. And the results of his work are on every page in between. It's prefigured in this chapter. Yeah, it begins with God. And this story of the Bible ends with God. But three chapters in, the serpent appears. Three chapters before the end, he's done away with. And the effects of his work are everywhere. And then what's amazing is Adam gives this great excuse. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I've commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. So not only is he blaming Eve, he's blaming God mm -hmm. for his action. And then, and then he says, God says to the woman, what's this you've done? And she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she's blaming the serpent. Adam's blaming his wife. Adam's blaming God. You know, think about every piece of spam information that comes to you, every lie, every dissonant thought that you have. Behind every action is a belief. I'm going to get a divorce. I'm going to get drunk. Your actions are based on the belief. What I'm doing will make me happier than what God says. Who are you listening to? If you're believing that you're not good enough or God can't accept you, you can't trust scripture, you have to recognize it. That's not God's voice. That's not what God said. You know what else is interesting about this is they condemn themselves. God didn't condemn them first. They condemned themselves. They said, bad, I'm bad, bad, Adam. And also Adam, that's man. So this, uh, this generalizes, right? It's, it's, it's there to tell us that. It does generalize, but they did condemn themselves first. They became ashamed, which means looking down on yourself, say, I'm a bad Adam. I'm a bad Eve. I got to cover up and hide from others, you know, but he didn't come down and just condemn them right off. Lightning didn't strike and now no more Adam. No, he gave them mercy. Yeah, he gave them mercy. Exactly right. A chance at reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And notice when he, what he does, God, as a result of this, God curses the serpent Above all livestock, cursed are you. God does say, 
I will greatly increase your pains and childbearing to the woman. And God says to the man, the work that you have done up until now is, is cursed. The cursed is the ground because of you. It'll produce thorns and thistles. You'll eat the, by the sweat of your brow. But he doesn't curse Eve herself. He doesn't curse Adam. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, he makes garments of skin, you know, like leather. He, he takes an animal to cover their nakedness, to clothe them. And then there's one other thing that kind of a, a cool ending. And it's, it's this. Some scholars would say this is the first prophecy of, of Christ. And it, he, he says it when he's giving the curse to the, the serpent. He said, you will crawl on your belly, you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And then he says this, and I will put enmity, animosity, basically, between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. What's interesting is, is ancient documents talk about the offspring or the seed is another word for it. The seed of the woman was never talked about. Mm. They would, it was always the seed of the man in, in ancient documents. So the fact that they're saying the seed of the woman, some scholars would say, well, that is just this, a slight nuance and a reference to the virgin birth because it's the seed of the woman and her offspring is going to take care of the serpent. Yeah. As you mentioned in Revelation. Yeah. He gets his head crushed. Yeah. And, and, and Satan, you know, we'd say he oversaw the, the death of Jesus as the Lamb of God. You know, so that would be the striking of his heel. But, but in that, Christ was able to crush the head of, this, of the serpent. Also, a woman is glorified, too. What, what is your translation in chapter 20? Uh, mine reads, uh, so Adam called his wife's name life in capital Huh. letters because she was the mother of all living this is the uh new king james orthodox study bible mm -hmm. is that is that what you're saying as a footnote adam named his wife eve because she would become the mother of all the living but okay in a footnote eve probably means living there you go this is a life and so you know women aren't you know i mean I, somebody we read this through our politics when i was young you know what I mean? There are filters and that's not the way to read this thing. And also don't be afraid of commentaries. Like you don't know everything. If you love science, science is a giant discussion where you have a peer review. So it's not like we ought not be able to do this to, to find some knowledge and improve ourselves. Right. But you know, we, we need it like this. You can't just figure this stuff out yourself. You're not, I'm not capable. I don't know a few, few people who are even the church fathers had councils. They knew some things for certain, but they got to some difficult problems. And they said, let's talk to each other and then let's decide, you know, amongst each other. Well, and that's in the book of Acts. Yeah. You know, a, what do we exactly. do all these non-Jewish people? Can they be Christians without becoming Jewish first? And the answer was yes. But, you know, so that they were addressing conflict just like we have conflict today. Humbly, they were addressing conflict, right? Yeah. Oh, I think they got into it. Might not have looked humble, but they had a process. Well, yeah, but hear, hear me out, though, because that doesn't sound prideful or arrogant at all. Because uh, prideful and arrogant means I'm the pope. I don't care what you have to say. I'm my own pope. I'm your pope. You're wrong. I didn't see that at all. I saw some people working out through dialogue. 
Yeah. Um, is what I saw, which is, I think what we ought to be doing in, you know, home groups and Bible studies. Mm. I think that's the generous thing to do. And I think it's the humble thing to do. And, and, and um, it's, it's been um, established long before me that this is the way that some way smarter people than me were doing this stuff. It's good. Well, this is kind of a little bit of a deep dive. There's still a whole lot more to discover, but it sure brings up the thing that I've been saying lately. We read the Bible, not because it tells us what happened, but because it tells us what always happens. Yeah. Not them. If we know what always happens, then we'll know what to do. It's not just about acquiring knowledge and telling people about your knowledge. It's about acquiring knowledge so we can um, navigate as close to reality as we can get. Maybe call that wisdom. Yeah. Exactly. Apply your knowledge to your that, life yeah. and to the situation. Yeah. We got to do this again. This was a good idea, man. I like this. I'm glad it's worked. It flew by. Yeah. It's crazy. Listen, why don't I pray for okay. us? Lord, I thank you so much that you, you care enough to confront us. When we are, are listening, not to you, that you care enough to show us mercy, that you care enough to ask, where are you? Thank you, God, that you are not a dictator. You're not even a benevolent dictator, but you are God and you desire this love relationship with us. Lord, we've believed so many lies and we've fallen for him for way too long. I just pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you have provided everything for us to find our way back to you. And that even if we're living in the midst of the curse of sin, your mercies go further than the curse ever could. And so we give you thanks for that. We pray against the lies that we nurse. We pray against the lies that, that we create for ourselves, that we set up ourselves to believe. And we pray, God, that you would remind us of the truth of who you are and who we are and whose we are, that we are yours and that you have sought us ever since. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Shepherd in the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd in the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.